Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Go ahead and open your Bible up uh, to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 5 through 10 today. Uh, before we get into our passage, I just want to celebrate something uh, with you a little bit. Um, each week we have our mission spotlight, and in those mission spotlight, we either pray for one of our specific missionaries or for a group of people who don't have the gospel. And last week, we prayed for one of our missionaries or heard from one of our missionaries, Brother George DeMacos. And, and you guys have known they've had this ongoing saga. They were able to purchase a building next to them, revamp that building, and now their attentions have turned to the renovation of the building that they currently owned. And in that particular process of trying to do some updates to the building, they ran into some financial difficulties. They needed 12,000 euros to be able to finish what needed to happen in that new building or in the old building in terms of renovation. Uh, we met with the deacons this past week. We, we prayed together, and because of your generosity, we had some funds where we were able to meet half the need that they had to be able to bless them with that, and so they could do some renovations in the old building as well. So I, I just want to take a moment to celebrate your generosity in giving to our missionaries because those funds were available to help them because of the Lord's work and generosity through you. Uh, so I just wanted to celebrate that with you for a moment. Yeah, give it up for God, right? If you've opened your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, I want to start off with just this illustration and thinking about this particular passage. On February 28, 1953, James Watson of the United States and Francis Crick of England made one of the greatest scientific discoveries in history. The two scientists found the double helix structure of DNA. It's made up of two strands that twist around each other and have an almost endless variety of chemical patterns that create instructions for the human body to follow. Our genes are made up of DNA and determine how things work, like even the color of your hair or color of your beard in my case, not hair, I guess, and eyes we have, the color of eyes we have. In 1962, they were awarded the Nobel Prize for this work. That discovery has helped doctors understand diseases and has encouraged us how to rethink how the human body even works. In our Christian lives, there will be times in which we'll be confronted with truths about God's Word that will encourage us to rethink the way that we have viewed the Christian life and rethink even how God Himself is viewed. This today is one of those passages in which we are confronted with the truth about God and then out of that encouraged to consider who we actually are, to think deeply about who God is and then to consider our own lives in, true, in terms of this particular passage. Here's the thesis statement for today. If God is pure light, meaning perfectly holy and free from sin, then John calls us to examine our lives to see if we have true fellowship with God and with each other. So with this in mind, I want you to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God if you're able. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 
First John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. The particular truth that we're confronted with right away in this passage is the glorious light of God. Now, John tells us, if we remember from the four previous verses, that he as an apostle got to interact and spend time with Jesus Christ. He got to see God in the flesh. And now he's reporting about what he had learned in his interaction with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I I want to be clear here. This message that he's delivering is a revelation, not a discovery. And this is very important that we understand about God. God is so infinite that it would be impossible for us with our finite minds to understand him. So God has to actually reveal himself to us for us to understand what he is like. And in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we have one of the fullest revelations of God in his personhood. But for us today, the revelation of God that we have is through his word. He has revealed himself to us. God is not something that can just be discovered. He is wholly unknowable unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. And I'm so thankful that he has done that, that he revealed himself to the apostles in his person, but he's also revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible. But in this interaction that John has with Jesus, there's something that, remember from the previous verses, he's seen, he's heard, he's experienced, and now there's these abiding results that are happening as a result of this interaction with Jesus. This message that he's heard and he now proclaims to us from him, from Jesus, that Jesus revealed who God is. Here is the message. Look at verse 4 or excuse me, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So John has this revelation from Jesus about who God is, and now he's proclaiming that to us. So his interaction with Jesus has led him to this revelation that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So what, what is happening here? John is making a comparison that light, by definition, is the absence of darkness. The comparison that he's meant, or that he's making right here, is that God is absolute in his glory, in his truth, in his holiness. He is absolute in perfect character, and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. He is perfectly holy and he contains no sin. I'm, I'm thankful for the light. Aren't you, brothers and sisters? Are you, you're thankful, I'm sure, for the holy perfection of God. 
I appreciate the light even in just a tangible sense. If I'm trying to think about connecting myself to the light, uh, the perfect holiness of God, how, how the light shines into the darkness. In one particular room of our house, all of the kids' toys are pretty much in this room. We call it the, the playroom. And one of the dominant items in that particular room is a Lego table. They have this giant Lego table with who knows how many thousands of Legos. Now, I don't even venture to go into that room with no shoes on unless there's a light on. I mean, there's like childbirth, a broken femur, and then stepping on a Lego with a barefoot and like the order of, of pain. So I never navigate in there without the light on because light is the absence of darkness. In God's character, light is his holiness. Darkness is sin, which means that if God is light and there is no darkness in him, there is no sin in God whatsoever. He is just perfectly holy all the time. In fact, in this particular passage, there's a, a device that's used that is actually not uh, used in English very often or is frowned upon, but it's this phrase, in him is no darkness at all. That's an emphatic double negative, meaning you can't get any less free of darkness than God himself is. And I would argue that this is actually one of, if not the greatest of all God's attributes, if he is not perfectly holy, all the rest of his attributes crumble. But because he is complete light, absent of darkness, perfectly sinless, and the light himself, then all of his other attributes function around and inside of that particular attribute. If we are going to have a clear view of ourselves, we must start with a clear view of God. To see God as holy, high and lifted up, perfect, sinless, then sets the standard by which we are to be viewed and we are to evaluate ourselves. The scriptures are full of these passages that describe this perfect holiness, this righteousness, this sinlessness of God. Psalm chapter 92, verse 15 says, To declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Or even describing Jesus in 1 Peter 2, verses 22, he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Or James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Or Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 says, And the four living creatures, each of them had six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, here's what they say about God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Brothers and sisters, there is no one holy like the Lord. He is perfectly righteous in everything that he does, and he is upright and good. Now, here's the question. Is this good news, or is this bad news? Is the holiness of God good news for us, or is this 
bad news. Because what we're going to find out in just a few verses is that not only is God holy, God is also just, which means that God's sinless perfection will not allow sin to go unpunished. So it is good news that God is perfectly holy for those who confess their sin. Because what we're going to find out also is that he is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. His perfect character, his holy character, will not allow sin to go unpunished, but he has made a way for us to escape his wrath, his punishment, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We must, in confession, turn to him. We're going to say more about this in just a moment. But friend, let me plead with you today. If you have not confessed your sin to Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness that his atonement on the cross has brought, the holiness of God is the worst news you could ever receive. Because what we're also going to find out is that there is none righteous, no, not one. No one will be able to stand before God based on their own merit. So we need this view in our mind of God to be exactly as John describes it. He is perfectly holy. He is light. There is no darkness in him. He is the most excellent being in all the universe. He is the only one worthy to be worshipped. Because what's going to happen in the rest of this passage is five conditional clauses, five if statements, three of them negative in verses 6, 8, and 10, three of them false doctrine, and true of them true doctrine. What this passage is asking us to do is to imagine certain situations and then consider if this is us or not. To consider if we are living in the light or if we are living in the darkness. And the measuring stick for this consideration is our fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. John uses three things that fellowship isn't and three things that fellowship is. What is true fellowship? That's what we're seeking to answer. Let me start with the negative. Let me start with what real fellowship, what true fellowship isn't. He says in verse 6, true fellowship isn't walking in the darkness. True fellowship isn't walking in the darkness. Now, this picture of walking in the darkness is this idea of the habitual manner of your life, the way in which you live, the way in which you walk. And let's not be confused about this, friends. Sin is not something that we fall into. Sin is something that we're determined to do. And the walk of our life indicates what we love and what we don't love. And if we love sin, if we love the dark, then our life will be consistently aligned with the things of the darkness. This means that our life would have the regular habit of being marked by sin or habitual patterns of sin. Now, let me be really clear here, lest lest we start to navigate down a wrong path. This doesn't mean that Christians will never be tempted or struggle with sin. 
We're still in these fleshly bodies that are tempted and given to sin from time to time. But Christians will not live their entire lives without some moments of victory, consistent patterns of victory over sin. The person who walks in darkness loves the sin they are doing and has no desire to stop. Their lives are marked by sin. Friend, if you are here today and you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but yet the consistent pattern of your life is a love and a walking in the darkness, you, my friend, are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Real fellowship isn't walking in darkness, nor is it acting like we never sin. Two times in this passage, John John describes a person who says that they have no sin. In verses 8 and verse 10, they are making a claim that they are free from sin. Now, I wonder sometimes, this particular person, or even me myself, if I'm not like the child with chocolate on their face who's been caught by their parent before God. You walk into a room, there's chocolate wrappers on the floor, The child that you told to not eat their Valentine's chocolate has chocolate around their mouth. And you say, little Johnny, did you eat your Valentine chocolate? And they say, no, I didn't eat the chocolate, Daddy. Well, Johnny, what are these wrappers on the floor? I don't know who put those there. How did you get chocolate around your mouth, Johnny? I don't know. Someone must have rubbed it on my face. While you were asleep, or how did that happen? I don't know. Friends, when we stand before God and try to act like sin, it is so blatantly obvious that every one of us have sinned. We're like that child. Let me say this as a warning, though. The person who denies their own sin, they are often the most visible when we think about others and the sin they've been caught in. There's a position that people will take when they want to act like they don't have sin, but they see someone else sinning. And they might say something like, I can't believe they would do that. Or here's the most dangerous, I would never do that. Friend, if that is your opinion about sin, you are on the edge of doing the very thing you said you would never do. Let me just tell you, when you see someone else who sin and you think in your mind, I would never do that, let me just tell you, the Bible says, yes, you would. There's a famous biblical counselor. His name is David Pallison. He's since passed away. He used to say this, we are all imminently entrappable. That means that every one of us is on the edge of being trapped and ensnared in sin. And it's only by the grace of God that we don't do exactly what someone else is doing. We should be willing to admit we have sinned pre and post salvation. And let me just ask you this. If you act or you think you don't have sin, what do you need Jesus for? You see, this is one of the most beautiful truths in terms of gathering as the church. The cross of Calvary declares very loudly that everyone's a sinner. Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. And this actually allows us to admit that we have sin and we're in need of a Savior. 
Every one of us needs Jesus Christ. And this is one of the great joys of the church, that we can come together and don't have to hide our sin. We can openly confess and work together to fight sin because we know we're all sinners. There's no perfect people here. And oftentimes people would say, well, I don't want to go to church. It's filled with hypocrites and sinners. Well, let me just say, friend, if you're perfect enough that you can claim to not be a a sinner or, or a hypocrite, then you shouldn't go to church because you probably don't need it if you're perfect. And when you find that perfect church, don't attend it because you'll mess it up. Fellowship isn't walking in darkness. Fellowship isn't acting like we never sin. And fellowship is not living and believing lies. Feel the escalation of what sin produces. Look at these verses. Look at verses 6, 8, and 10. Listen to the escalation here. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, what do we do? We lie and we do not practice the truth. In verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, this is the ultimate one, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. Let's go back and, and look at these really quickly. Verse 6 says, we speak and live a lie. Paul says this, actually, uh, it is one of the marks of a false teacher. A person who speaks a lie and lives a lie. They're deceived and deceiving. And he continues on in verse 8. We practice self-deception and live a lie. This is like one of the most scary truths in this whole particular passage. Do you know who the person is who deceives us the most often to sin? It's me. I am the biggest deceiver of my life. Because no one talks to me more than me. I talk to myself all the time. And I am the one who actively deceives myself to commit the sins that I know that the Word says is wrong. So they're a liar, they're a deceiver, and then here's the worst one. We make God a liar And here's the capstone, we don't have the truth in us. When a person has a life that's continually and habitually marked by sin, it says a lot about what they believe God is like. This is why having a right view of God is so important in this whole process. Because if God is perfectly holy, and if he is worthy to be worshipped, and if he is exactly how the word declares him to be, I will do anything to prevent myself from making God a liar. I will fight sin. I will have a clear testimony in the community. I will have fellowship with my brothers and sisters. I will read my Bible. I will pray. I will evangelize. I will do what it takes so that God is not made a liar in my life. But the one who is a liar, a deceiver, they don't care about the reputation of God. Because in their minds, at the very most, they're equals, and maybe they're even a step higher than him. You see, real fellowship is not walking in darkness. It's not acting like we never sin. And it's not living and believing lies. But what is it? What is real fellowship according to this passage? What is the opposite of walking in darkness? 
walking in the light. To have a habitual manner of life that is determined not to sin. This is a life lived that is determined to live holy. Now, listen, we've got to be very clear here, lest we think that our holy living has to do with our own ability, and it does not. The only reason that we can pursue, you feel that? That's the conviction of sin, right? (laughs) If you hear that, it's time to repent, okay? Brothers and sisters, part of the reason that God has to be so big in our thinking is because you and I can't live holy lives without him. If the blood of Christ does not cover your life, and if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you won't be able to fight sin. You won't be able to do it. You may try. You may try very hard. But you will not have consistent victory over sin. Victory over sin, living a holy life, is only possible because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the subsequent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And listen, friends, this passage tells us that he doesn't just forgive sins. He doesn't just forgive us in verse 7. What else does the blood of Jesus do? It cleanses us. The only reason we can resist sin is because we're being actively cleansed, we're being actively redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love thinking about the three terms that we often use for the the process of salvation. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is something that instantly happens at the moment that you're saved where you're declared not guilty by the blood of Jesus. So in the courtroom of heaven, anyone who has accepted the salvation of Jesus Christ before the throne room of heaven, you are not guilty. But sanctification, oftentimes we don't talk about the two parts of sanctification. There's positional sanctification and there's progressive sanctification. Positional sanctification is what we enjoy in terms of being set apart to live holy. So not only have we been declared not guilty, God has chosen us as his people and empowered us as his people to live a holy life. That happens instantly with your justification. The problem is all of us still battle with sin. And so we must be progressively sanctified to enjoy the position that we have in our sanctification and our justification. And part of the reason that we keep our eyes completely focused on eternity is that our salvation has its culmination in our glorification in which we will no longer struggle against sin, but will worship God perfectly for all eternity. I mean, this is one of those things I can't get my brain around. To not have a struggle with sin anymore, and to just be able to purely worship God from a pure heart for all of eternity, I long for that day. All of the effects of sin will be gone. The curse of sin will be gone. All that will be left is an eternity of sinless perfection in which we worship God. 
I mean, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until that day comes, we must, by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in the light. One of the ways that we do that according to this particular passage is that we confess our sins. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we have a right view of God and he is perfect and holy, and then we hold ourselves up to that holy standard, we got some confessing to do. Now, let's make sure that we understand what confession is. Confession is not going to some booth and confessing or telling your sins to to some guy behind the curtain. Nor is it just completely and totally private either. This might be the hardest thing in this particular passage for us to process besides the, the greatness of God. Confession is saying the same thing as God about ourselves. Confession is agreeing with God about what we are. It's looking in the Word of God and seeing what we're like and then confessing to God what He has already said about us. Now, what has He already said about us? Ecclesiastes 7, 29. See this alone that I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is clean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, the truth is, we are all sinners by nature and sinners by choice. This is how the Bible describes us. This is what God has said about us before our salvation. And so in confession, we need to think about confession in two forms. One, one, the first one, is a confession to God in which we receive salvation. We, for the first time, confess to him that we are the sinners that he describes us to be. We are unrighteous. We are wholly different from him in his holiness. We confess that to him, and we receive salvation the forgiveness of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then throughout our Christian lives, the second type of confession we need to understand is a confession to God as an act of worship that builds the fellowship of the church. We see this in passages that talk about confessing sins to one another so that we may be healed. One of the elements that's missing in the modern church is close enough relationships in which I will confess to you where I have sinned and you can hold me accountable to the repentance in which I'm confessing this particular sin. Listen, 
What a marvelous gift that God has given to us that we can have such close relationships that you know I'm a sinner and I know you're a sinner and we're working together by the power of God to be less sinners today than we were yesterday. You see what's happening in the culture today, what social media and different groups have done to people. You can't admit anything without getting attacked. You can't admit any shortcomings, no chinks in your armor, nothing, unless you get attacked. But in the church, that is not the case. In the church, we're free to confess to each other and hold each other accountable to live in the light. Because if I understand who God is, and you understand who God is, and we understand what we're like according to the Word, I am not any better than you. And in fact, I may be worse than you. And that gives us a freedom to have relationship with each other that is so God-glorifying and so glorious and so satisfying that we just want more and more of who God is and more and more relationship with each other. And we long for this day in which we'll eternally be together to do that worshiping we were talking about. You see, true fellowship is walking in the light. It's a confession of sin, and then it's collectively and progressively being cleansed of sin. Again, John goes to great strides to help us see what God is truly like. In verse 9, he uses these incredible words to describe God. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. Sometimes I think that this word faithful is lost upon us because what it means is God's reliability in keeping his word. Brothers and sisters, we have to be reminded there is no one who can stop God from doing what he's promised. Not only can God give his word, he can keep it. He's powerful enough to keep his words. And so when he says things like, if you confess to me, I'll cleanse you, he's going to keep his word. He will keep his promises. And when when we battle against sin, we need to go back to the word of God and be reminded of the promises that God has made over us and claim those promises on our life. He is faithful and he is just, and I described this to some degree already, that God acts according to his holy character. He has to punish us. But instead, Jesus Christ took the punishment for us. And now because of the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and cleansed in God. We've got to see what's happening here. When our view of the greatness of God continues to grow, we'll see the nature of what's happening. God himself is imputing his righteousness to the unrighteous to purify us. This is what he has done for us. There's your conviction again. 
He's faithful and just in his forgiveness and his cleansing. God is just. God is righteous. We are sinners. We are unrighteous. But what we see John bringing us all the way home here is to again see the three main ideas of this book. Fellowship with God and each other, fighting against sin with the goal of eternal life. And let me just say, friends, we must see the role of the local church in this process. Let me try to state this as clearly as I can. Fellowship amongst Christians is the visible symbol of fellowship with God. Because you won't have fellowship with other believers if you live in the darkness and you say you have no sin and you actively deceive yourself. You won't have fellowship with believers. You can't. But the evidence of our fellowship with God is a wonderful, vibrant relationship inside of the local church where together we walk in the light We fight against sin. We're actively forgiven and cleansed of sin, and we confess our sins one to another. You've heard me say this phrase before, but when we have fellowship with God and each other, we are literally making the gospel visible because there has to be an atoning work of Jesus Christ that brings together a group of people who walk in the light together, confess sin, and strive for eternity, there has to be something outside of them that acted upon them to bring them together in this way, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ and our fellowship with Him that makes this fellowship possible. You see, we preach and teach on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, with the goal of encouraging each other to walk in the light by confessing and progressively fighting sin with the goal of eternal life. And God has brought this church together here at Crossbridge with this goal in mind. That is what in part it looks like to make gospel disciples. We learn the truth together, then together we walk in the truth and the light, we confess and we fight sin while helping each other keep our eye on the goal of God and His glory in our eternal life. Will you pray with me as I ask God to help us do that even now? Lord, when we see what you're like in your word, when we see your holy nature, and we see that we are not holy, we are sinners, we are amazed by the fact, and we cry out like David, who are we that you would consider us? And yet, you have considered us to the degree that you offered up your only son, as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that he would bear our punishment, that the life of the just would be exchanged for the life of the unjust. And we must simply pause to say thank you. But Lord, help us to never just say thank you with our mouths, but help us to say thank you with our lives. Lord, unite us together as your church. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to confess sin to one another and to help each other be progressively sanctified, all the while recognizing our complete and utter dependence upon you.
Lord, I pray also for the one who may be listening online or who is here today who doesn't know yet how to walk in the light because they've not been moved from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. For them, I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict them, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would see their sin and see your perfect holiness, but also see the salvation that you've given to them in Jesus Christ. And may today they cry out to you and receive this forgiveness, receive the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus Christ in their life. Lord, help us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on eternity in which we'll get to worship you forever. Help us see any sacrifices that we would make in this life for your glory to be completely and totally worth it so that we would offer our, live, our lives as a living sacrifice to you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.